flesh. And how many are hungry to live in continual revival? That's going to be my sermon tonight. Ready? Recordings good to go, Sandy? Okay, just let me know when they're going. Oh, man, what an anointing here tonight. Wow. I feel like we're just on holy ground. So are we going, sweetheart, or all the recordings going? Let's open up with prayer. All right, so I'm assuming everything's going. Lord, we just thank you for this time in the Word. We thank you, Lord, for just speaking through me tonight and everyone here, just good soil, and that everything will be spoken, Lord, through this time that you will be done. Living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for everything being accomplished in through this time that you will to be done. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to be talking about living in continual revival. And I think Brother Ralph said that this week. And it's the truth that truthfully we should be continually sustaining a move of God in our lives. We should. It's a shame that many times the body of Christ tends to backslide and and we have to really pray in a revival. Uh, But God's desire is that we live in continual perpetual revival. So just a couple quick things tonight. Number one, Proverbs 4.23 Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. It's a common scripture that we all know, isn't it? But if we're not careful, our hearts can get to a place where revival is hindered in us. And so I want to bring that together with the scripture, 1 Timothy 4.1. It says that in the latter days, some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and the way that can be translated is deceiving demons and teachings from a demonic source but i want to focus on the word seducing spirits and i want to to say this god is wanting us to guard our hearts that we're not seduced away from him And let me just give this warning. Some of this is very pastoral. I guess I just can't help it here tonight in River of Life. But if we're not careful, things can start pulling us away from the Lord. And I know this has happened to other people. It's one of the things I've really guarded my heart so much over these last 20-something years because I've seen people that, I, that have been in revival. I've seen God moving in their life powerfully, and they're not with the Lord today. And I know, I'm smart enough to know that I'm no better than them, and I better guard my heart. It doesn't happen overnight either. It's a slow, gradual seduction. It's here a little compromise, here a little compromise. Next thing you know, over a period of time, somebody can can say, oh, well, this is no big deal, that's not a big deal. And then two, three years later, they're really far from God, and they think, how did I get to this place when just a few years ago my life was so radically different with God? It didn't happen in one day. It happened gradually over a period of time. We all know the whole frog in a kettle just gradually, but that's what the enemy does, just a slow seduction 
And so what we have to do, the first thing I would say this, by keeping ourselves very pure is to guard our hearts from things, for example, like ungodly entertainment that we know we don't need in our lives. Amen? God began to really deal with my heart. It's, it's kind of a funny story because when I really gave my heart to the Lord in 95, I mean, I had like no convictions about entertainment whatsoever, you know. And I remember I began to go to Bible school and my mentality would have been, well, you know, if it, it's something going on up there. It's not me. What's the big deal? But I remember that I, I went in this movie and I just remember feeling like something just didn't quite right afterward. You know, it was one of these that shouldn't have been seen anyway, but I wouldn't have thought anything of it at the time. But God began to deal with me. And then as, as Brownsville came, that helped because they talked about some of these things. But I knew that some of the things out there was affecting me. And I know some people think, well, it doesn't affect you. But you've got to be careful because it does affect you. You'd be surprised how, uh, how much of a desensitizing and a defilement can come through entertainment. Whether it's, whether it's the wrong type of shows you're watching, wrong type of movies or video games or whatever it is. It, it can very much defile and desensitize people. And see, those things can affect our hearts, number one. The next thing I would say is this. Be very careful that you're quick to forgive other people. That is a big trap. And I remember and whenever I went to Brownsville, and I, I happened to talk to some of these uh, altar workers. And that's what they were telling me. They said, you know, they said, we have to be so quick to forgive other people. Somebody wrongs you, just immediately take it to the Lord. Lord, we forgive them. We release them because that is a trap that can, that can begin to harden your heart and affect you in a, in a major way. Also is be quick to repent. I remember a story Kenneth Hagin said one time, and it always stayed with me. He said, I want to repent immediately. He said, God showed him that as he, as he became a Christian and he began to walk with the Lord that as soon as something would happen, as soon as he would say or do something he shouldn't have, he would go immediately and ask God's forgiveness. He didn't wait three, four weeks down the road. He just prayed immediately. And so if we're quick to forgive people, we're quick to repent, then our hearts can remain pure. And if we'll set up some godly parameters and not allow things in our lives that are affecting us spiritually in an ungodly way, because that can harden the heart, that can defile, that can desensitize... And that's what I'm concerned more than anything in my life is I don't want to lose my sensitivity. I want the Holy Spirit to be, to be able to just speak to me, just to nudge me, and I know it. There's people that I know at one time God was really moving in their life, but now I think the Holy Spirit could yell at them and they wouldn't even hear him. I don't want to get to that place. And we're in the last days and the Bible warns us, guard your hearts. For out of your heart flows the springs of life. Guard that heart above all. And it warns us that in these latter days, there would be seducing spirits that are trying to pull us away from the Lord. And it's coming from a lot of sources. And another thing I would add to this, and I've preached this so many times, is guard who you're hanging around with and guard any romantic relationships. Be careful. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. You know, this is one of those youth group illustrations, all right? But I remember back when I youth pastored, I would have them do it. And I, you know, you preach this, you preach this, and some have the wisdom to listen, and some don't, you know? 
And inevitably in a year, you're going to know, right? But I used to have a young person stand up on a chair and I'd have another person there as dead weight and say, okay, now you pick them up to where you're at on the chair. And they never could do it. And then I'd tell the other one on the ground, I'd say, now pull him off the chair. There he goes, you know. It's very difficult to drag dead weight up to where you are. Hello? Let me say that again. It's very, very difficult to drag dead weight up to where you are. But it's very easy for them to pull you down. Be very careful there. I want to surround myself with on-fire people. I, you know, I remember Steve Hill saying that all the time. He'd say that to us. I want to be around on-fire people. Lukewarm people, I just get rid of them in my life. I just want to be around on-fire people. And 2 Peter 1.12 says this, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and listen to this, and be established in present truth. So as we're guarding our hearts, as we're guarding ourselves from the seduction of things out there, the seductive pull of the world, the, the seduct- how many see a seducing spirit on the entertainment industry? I mean, you don't have to have a lot of discernment. There is a pull, and not only in the entertainment industry, but in so many other areas, there's a seducing pull there to pull us away from the Lord, but the Bible says to be established in present truth, and what I want to say about that is this, that we must continue in the basics. I'll tell you some of the early things the devil do is if he's wanting to take you down is he's going to get you out of church. (laughs) Let's get established in the basics. Sometimes it's hard to get there, but I'm going to get there. Sometimes a church service may be difficult because you feel like you're kind of plowing or you're coming up against some resistance. And then the next service is just blowout revival. But regardless of the service, stay faithful to God's house. Be faithful in the little things like tithing. The Bible says the heavens will open and I'll pour out more blessings. And Derek Prince always said this. He said tithing is connected to revival because it's connected to an open heaven. And I think I'm preaching to the choir. Most everybody I know in River of Life tithes. But also your person, this is really where I'm going with this sermon more than anything else. I want to get to this point right here. Your personal prayer life. In, this, in these latter days, I'm telling you, I've always said this for 20-something years, but it's more true now than ever. We cannot ride other people's coattails. I don't think it's going to be able to work in the days to come. I think that there's going to be people that are being seduced and pulled away because they think, well, you know, I go to church and, and the pastor prays and all that. Yes, and that's fine, and that's important, but you've got to have a personal relationship yourself. So what I want to say about that tonight is this. I have the same pattern in church that I do at home. It's very simple, but maybe this will help bring it home a little bit. So in the days of Moses with the tabernacle was set up and there was the pillar of fire and the glory was there. And for the priest once a year to go into the Holy of Holies, do you know what the priest did to get in the glory? The priest had to go out in the outer court and he had to shed blood and he had to take the blood of the animal into the Holy of Holies area, and he had to sprinkle the blood there. So it was blood that gave him access. What does the Bible say? We can enter the most holy place by what? The blood. So I have found that if I'll take time asking the Lord to wash and cleanse me, 
make sure I've forgiven everybody, and I come up under the blood, and I'm not coming in my own righteousness, but I'm coming through the blood. It, it was funny because years ago, I, this man of God was really using my life. He prayed for me, and God really touched me. And I'd asked him, I said, do you have any advice for me? He, he was a funny guy, and he was like, well, he's, I, basically he was saying, I've gotten kind of old, and I learned a lot of things and probably forgot a lot of things I learned. <laughs> but he said, I'll tell you this, learn how to pray. That's the only advice he gave me, but it was the greatest advice you could possibly give anybody. He's basically saying to me, I could give you advice, I could tell you some things I've learned, but you learn how to pray, and that'll sustain you the rest of your life. And so I really took it to heart, and I began to, to seek God in prayer. But I remember, because I was at this particular church, and they had a family life center area, and I'd go up in the balcony area, and I'd get alone with God in some Sunday school room or something, you know. And back in those days, it was, it was the boom box. You're going to take the little, you got your little boom box, you're going up there, right? And this, this was, CDs were relatively new, so I still had some cassette tapes, but had some CDs. I didn't there, you know, trying to pray. Had some worship going. It was so dead. I mean, brother, it was hard. And I, I remember just kind of just bumping my head on the wall like this, you know, just, and then God began to teach me how to pray. And one of the early things I learned was coming through the blood. Because we can come in here and we can try so hard to, to jump and shout and do all these things and get all worked up. But if we're not careful, we're trying to do something in the flesh and kind of make something happen, trying to hype something up. But you can rest in the blood, that the blood gives you access, free access. So once I learned to come through the blood, then I began to learn the power of worship. So the priest would go in, and he would have to take that blood and sprinkle it, and that's what gave him access was the blood. If he didn't come by the blood, he would have died. But the second thing he had to do in the Holy of Holies was this. He had to burn that incense in there. That, that Holy of Holies was filled with incense and sprinkled with blood. That's what gave him access. And incense represents the praise and the worship and the prayers going up before God. And as God began to show me that in my personal life, then I started noticing as I was coming through the blood and I was worshiping, I started noticing the presence of God was coming. And the next thing I learned was this, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. And we need fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Even tonight, what you're feeling here is the person of the Holy Spirit coming in this place to cooperate with him. See, God the Father is on his throne in heaven and Jesus at his right hand. Who is, who is with us right now? Who's in us and with us in this place right now is the Holy Spirit. He's the best friend you have, I'm telling you. And I think about how patient he is with all of us, I tell you. I mean, you guys feel like you look over the whole course of your whole Christianity from the day you got saved to now, and you think, my God, Holy Spirit, you were so patient with me. <laughs> but the blood and the worship, the Holy Spirit will come into that so powerful. And so I just simply began to bring that into, it wasn't something that, you know, contrived so much as it was just out of my own personal walk with God I felt as we began to gather together with other people, I felt like for us, for me personally, let's take communion and let's just reverence the blood and come up under the blood and let's make sure everything's right. 
And as in, tonight, we're going to come through the blood, and then let's begin to offer up the incense of our worship. And what happens? The glory comes. And that, that pattern will work in your personal life just as much as it works at church. And once you come through the blood and you, and you worship and the Holy Spirit comes and, and now you're in the presence of God, now's the time to begin to really pray and make your petitions known, to begin to really intercede, okay? And so once you get in the presence of the Lord, but I think many times people come in and they try to just go straight into prayer and they try to begin to ask God for things and, and, and you know, make petitions and it's difficult. They feel like it's kind of dry, and, and they're coming up against like just like the heavens are brass or something. But if they'll come through the blood and they'll worship and the Holy Spirit comes, prayer becomes easy. Amen. Brianna, can you turn that up some? It's cold. All right. So as we enter in tonight and, and we came together through the blood and we began to worship in this place, what did you guys notice happen? The presence came. And so then we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We begin to lift up prayer. So something else I wanted to say, not only is the basics in our personal lives that we ourselves develop a strong personal prayer life, but we also need to make sure and make God's house a house of prayer. This is one of the things that the church is lacking today. And so this, I want to share some of this with you. There's a pattern in Isaiah 58. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and then Joel 1 and 2. The picture is this. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, you know, when God's people are in trouble, there's a plague in the land, there's problems, there's, there's all these different things going on. Basically, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, he said, I'll hear you, I'll forgive you, and I'll come heal your land. Well, first off, what's, what's the land? The land is the landscape of our lives personally. That's the first land that God needs to heal is our lives personally. Where has there been things in our lives that have hindered our walk? And as we humble ourselves and pray, we begin to seek his face, and we repent of our evil ways. Amen? We repent. Say, Lord, show me things, things I didn't see. Shine a light. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. And as things begin to come to you, and you repent, you're going to find that the, the landscape of your personal life is beginning to experience some healing and revival. But then you need to begin to lift it up for your family, your lost loved ones. We're, we're called to be the intercessors for our families. And then not only our families, but also I think about our region, our nation. But here's the pattern that God shows us in his word. In, in Joel chapter 1 and 2, in Joel chapter 1, Israel got into sin. And so what happened was the, the invading armies began to come in, and the Bible describes their work and their activity like locusts because they came in, and I mean, they ravished everything. All of the fruit off the trees, all of the grain they stole, they came in and either stole or slaughtered the animals. It, it brought abstract poverty. It was extremely serious. But the invading armies of the surrounding nations came in like locusts. And Joel, being the prophet, said, you know, listen, Israel, gather the people. Call a solemn assembly. 
call a day of prayer and fasting, humbling yourselves, repenting, and God will have mercy on you. And as, as he said, if you'll do this, he said God will begin to drive away the army. See, we, we aren't dealing, and I know you know this, but we're not dealing with literal physical armies coming in. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with demonic forces of the enemy trying to push in and bring destruction and to steal and oppress. They're trying to come after us. They're trying to come after our families. They're trying to hinder churches and all of this, this warfare. And the Bible gives us a pattern, and, and it's, it, there's five. He says, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll pray, if you'll fast, okay, if you will repent of anything in your life, and then it connects also being a giver, giving to the poor. He said, if you'll do these things, this is the fasting I've chosen for you. Humble yourself. Let me say it again. Pray and fast. Be givers, okay, but really consecrate your life. Repent. He said, if you'll do this, I will drive away these forces of the enemy. And he said, and I will release the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the former latter rains, and I will restore the years the locusts have eaten, like Brother Ralph was preaching last night. The key to restoration is that we follow this biblical pattern, which I believe is so true right now. If we will humble ourselves and pray and fast, We'll be givers, but we'll really consecrate our lives. I believe God will hear from heaven, and he will come bring his healing to our land, and he will restore the ancient ruins, which is where I'm going with this. See, there's things that, that have been just, just major destruction. See, Satan comes in as the great destroyer. Jesus said he comes to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. Destruction. When Satan comes in, he wants to destroy your life, he wants to destroy families. He wants to bring destruction to bloodlines. He wants to bring destruction to, to, to territory. And as he comes in as a great destroyer, God says, if you will begin to humble yourselves and pray and fast and seek me, he said, I will drive back these forces of the enemy and I will restore. And in the days of Israel, in Isaiah 58, Here's some promises with fasting as well. Is this not the fast I've chosen for you? And he said, if you'll do this, and I've been describing it, humble yourself and, and really repent and, and offer up a fast. He said this. He said, I'll make your life like a well-watered garden whose springs don't fail. You know what that is? Revival. You'll live in perpetual revival. He said, you'll call to me and I'll answer you. Answer prayers. You'll cry out to me, and I'll say, here I am. That's God's nearness. How many want God's nearness? He said, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing quickly appear. Your righteousness go before you. The glory of your rear guard. Do you know what that is? That's just simply the Lord arising with healing in his wings. And then he goes on to say something very interesting, and he says this. You will be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins. Relay the foundations again. Yes. Repairing the breach and streets to dwell in. And, and as I read through that, I started realizing how much the devil has tried to bring so much destruction. Let me give you some examples. I think about in people's personal lives, loss and destruction because of times of spiritual warfare. I think about families, destruction. 
But I want you to think about in the body of Christ. I personally feel that the altars to prayer have been pulled down. You know, when Elijah had to rebuild that altar that fire fell on, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says about Elijah, he rebuilt the altar that Jezebel tore down. Did you ever read that? The devil has torn down some altars of prayer in churches that used to be very powerful and used to be churches of prayer where the presence of God was, the power of God was in operation, revival was raging, but, but the devil came in. And it may be a situation like Lodabar where, where they've been hit by warfare. Maybe there was church splits. Maybe there's been so much oppression, just different things that's happened. But in all of that, they find themselves like in Lodabar. They find themselves in a place where, where they've lost so much that they once had. And it grieves me because I remember, and I'm not even that old, and I remember how different things were when I was growing up. I think about churches now, you, you, you're probably not going to see this in very many places and probably have to drive a good distance. What happened to giving some altar calls to call people to come down and repent? I was so proud. I, one of my spiritual children, he said, not that long ago, called me up crying. I says, the Lord has been so convicting me about this, that, and the other. As I prayed with them, you know, and I was so proud of them. And then I saw the change after on the other side of that, you see. What happened to that conviction of the Holy Ghost being in the, in the house? People, as the preacher may be called for salvation altar calls or people to come down because they have sin in their life. And people are coming down, they're weeping, and they're, and they're repenting, and they're getting things right with God. In my opinion, this is just one uh, of the areas that the enemy has stolen something of significance in many places in the church. What happened to the intercessors in God's house? I'll, I'll tell you this before I close about my encounter with intercessors, then we're going to pray. But anybody that's been in Pentecost for any amount of time can tell you when they were growing up that these churches had intercessors in them. And those intercessors would come in before church. They'd come in off days or, or during the Holy Spirit moving real powerful. You'd see them over there. And they, they were in deep groaning and travail and deep intercession. They were the powerhouse of that church. It's a special call. But you don't see the intercessors. I believe probably one of the greatest losses in the church today has been that the devil has stolen the intercessors. And I'm not saying this lightly because there are many people that's come through here that have told me they travel the nation and then they'll hear the Holy Spirit kind of moving and intercession and all the intercessors start praying and all this. And they'll stop and they'll tell me, Pastor, I don't hear this anywhere that I go. That's concerning. And I think that that might have a lot to do with the condition of the church, too, in America. What happened to churches praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire? See, when I was growing up, people would come down to get saved, and, and the, the pastor would preach a message, and, and then at the end of it, I mean, it, was, it had an element of conviction in it. He said, if this is speaking to you, come on down and get things right with God. And people would come down and kneel at altars and make sure everything was right with God. 
And then there would be a tearing after that, and people would be there, and they would say, well, we're going to pray for those that want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there were times that services would go quite late as people just tarried there and prayed, and the Holy Spirit would begin to fall. And I mean, people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. You see brother so-and-so out on the power, just laying there speaking in tongues. And people weren't in such a big hurry about everything either. They were willing to tarry in the presence of God and pray through to certain things. There was an older gentleman that had been at the time when I was speaking to him. He'd been in the ministry 50 years. And um, he told me that God had kind of spoke to him. He, was, he had been in ministry 50 years. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was in his 70s. And he was telling me that as he reached a certain age and he kind of got 50 years in the ministry, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I don't know how much longer I have, but I want you to be able to use me in maybe a different way than you ever have, and I yield to you. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him very powerfully. And if I'm not mistaken, because he was telling me this, he kind of fell under the power in the encounter with God, and God spoke to him, I'm going to start using you to deliver my people like never before. And so there was something in the way of like deliverance that he began to see people set free from things. But he told me some things. I sat and talked to him. And how many knows we can learn something from somebody that's been in the ministry 50 years? Okay. Here's some things he told me. He said, I see in today's church that people are confusing the excitement of cool worship with the anointing. He said there's an energy and an excitement about having cool worship, and I like modern worship. But he said people get all caught up and all hyped up and excited and all this, and he said they think that's the anointing, but that's just the hype of the music. And he also said this. He said there was a time when people would come down and get saved, and they would stay there under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That right there alone is what we need back, the conviction. And he said they would stay in the altar and they would confess and repent of all their sins as the Holy Spirit was moving upon them. And because they really prayed all the way through about everything, he said they were being set free from the power of Satan over their life. But he said they're not doing that anymore. They're just saying some little quick prayer and going home and the power of the enemy still resides. That's... I, that stayed with me because I saw the change. I remember growing up and seeing people really pray through and pray. And, and I remember, you know, Brother Holt told me this. He said a lot of times the Holy Spirit will fall and people get under conviction. How many have ever felt that? Because, man, I have felt. The Holy Spirit comes on you with conviction. Thank God for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting me. Oh, but see, what people do is, Brother Holt told me this, he said they'll, they'll feel that conviction and they'll kind of pray it off of them and then go home and they didn't really change. Oh. See, that's, that's a danger right there. But there was a time when the Holy Spirit would come into these powerful Pentecostal churches. These intercessors prayed it in. And the Holy Spirit was moving with conviction. People would come down and repent and they, they would get saved and they would kneel there and they would really be under conviction and repent of all their sins and really as they prayed through the power of the enemy was broken and they would get up different and he was telling me the church has lost that and I would agree what happened to in many places tongues and the gifts of the spirit 
I'm talking about how the devil has come in to steal, and I'm talking about how God wants to restore the ancient ruins. I'm going somewhere with this. So what happened to tongues? And see, people think, oh, well, tongues, it, it might offend somebody. Give me a break. You know, even the Bible says clearly tongues is a sign for the unbeliever, okay? So I'll tell you what's going on. The devil don't like tongues and is trying to use religious demons. Everybody say religious demons to get them out of the church. And I tell you, Satan has a whole class of military force demon spirits that operate under a banner of religion. To make every church that they possibly can lukewarm and dead and powerless and ineffective. And they go through all the motions. They got all these different things going on. But there's nobody really truly getting impacted. I'm concerned that in many places where things are so hyped up and it's really exciting that they are not seeing as many people born again as they think. And they've got a lot more tares among the wheat, a lot more goats among the sheep than what they realize. But I remember growing up where tongues were powerful. And somebody would give a message in tongues and you could just feel the atmosphere shift. And there would be an interpretation or somebody give a powerful prophetic word. And I mean, it just shifted the atmosphere, just electric. And see, the, the gifts of the Spirit, where are they in many places? I know that in some places they're in operation, but we need the power of the gifts in operation again. I remember seeing so many times the gifts at work in various places I've been. But I remember one time, it was a rather large church I was in, and there was a message in tongues out of nowhere. And it basically started, and the interpretation came. The interpretation was there was somebody here, and it began to describe them and said they need to come down and get saved. There was a person up in the balcony that Holy Spirit fell on them, and they ran down and got saved that day. How many, remember, how many remember Steve Hill and those altar calls? And God would use him in a word of knowledge. And I, I'll never forget one time, because my name is Scott, that he was up there and he, was, he had this word of knowledge and he said, there's a military guy here tonight and your name is Scott and you're tired of taking orders so you're offended that somebody's telling you to come down here. But he said, I'm telling you, get down here and get saved tonight, right now. And there was a man named Scott that ran down under conviction and got saved at night and he was a military guy. <laughs> a word of knowledge how many times as words and words of knowledge come forth god's healing such and such and somebody gets hit by the power that healing comes see the the word of knowledge and healing tend to go together what about faith and the working of miracles it's like what happened to dean when they went to that church and that that brother said hey you got one leg shorter than the other come here put him in the chair it was the gift of faith and the working of miracles a leg grew out. I saw that with Basil with my wife. That was really neat. You know, he's like, if anybody hadn't seen miracles come up here, and, and my wife had a curvature of the spine, which made one arm shorter, and he prayed, and it just straightened her spine, arms shot out. So where's the gifts of things? Faith, the working of miracles. We need these powerful gifts. And I'll tell you something as well that really stuck with me. The Apostle Paul actually made a mistake, and he learned from it. He went to Athens. And he found this altar to the unknown God. And he began to try to reason with those people in Athens and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this unknown God. And he was trying to mess with their reasoning. And they just laughed him to scorn. It never really convicted and cut him to the heart. 
He was debating with them intellectually. They just laughed at him, thought he was a fool. And Paul left there, read it, because it goes chronologically. After that, Paul ends up going to the church in Corinth, and here's what he said as he was coming there. I don't come to you with eloquent words. I'm coming to you in the simplicity of the gospel to preach Christ and him crucified that the power of God unto salvation would come. And he said, I come to you in the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith will rest in God. And let me tell you, I've, I've heard about people going off to college and, and how they get there and this, these professors try to wreck their faith and all that. And I never was really too worried about Brianna because of this reason. Brianna has experienced and seen too much of God's power. The professor gets there and say, God's not real. And she'd say, well, how come he healed me from this, that, and the other? Why did I see demons come out of people? Why have I seen people healed myself? She'll tell you. Paul said, I don't come with eloquent words. In other words, I'm not going to argue with you. I come in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And when that power comes, he said, then your faith will rest in God. You can't argue with power. And I remember that there was a guy one time, bless his heart, he was saying that there was this college up here, UTA or something up here. And we were at this meeting and we we're at this, some dinner at some of several pastors. And he's telling me about this group of people that were, that were a part of a debating thing at this college. And he said they'd been debating and they had um, some of their Christians that were going there to debate the point. And he said, in all these years, and I don't remember how many years it was. It was several years. All these years, he said, not one person has been saved. And he's looking at me with concern, and I have no idea why. And I'm looking at him, and I'm serious. I didn't even blink, and I'm like, I'm not surprised. And he just, and I said, because you can't argue people. to. It's not a, an intellectual debate. It is the Holy Spirit convicting people. That's why people get saved during these powerful altar calls, because the Holy Spirit is convicting them. Somebody's not up here debating. Oh, let's have a little debate about stuff. I'm concerned in the ancient ruins that in many places, entertainment has replaced the presence and power of God. There's enough entertainment out there without God's house being in place of entertainment wouldn't you agree i don't come to church to be entertained i can stay home and be entertained i come to church to experience god to feel a touch of god and i'm concerned that programs have replaced things like tearing in the altars and deep repentance i love something Derek prince said he said this it was so funny he said I don't really counsel people as much as I used to because he said for years and years and years I counseled Christians over and over and over and it was a revolving door of people coming in and I'd talk to them and they'd leave out and then they'd come back in the same problems. He said, I finally came to the conclusion that about 99% of counseling can be resolved if they will repent of their sin and change. Oh, man. Wow. I guess they're looking for therapy. I don't know. But, I mean, once you come in and you repent, things start changing. I'm saying all that to just simply make this point, that the devil has stolen a lot of things. He has, and we know that. But God is the God of restoration. 
And he shows us in Isaiah 58 and Joel 2, if we will humble ourselves and pray and fast, consecrate our lives, he said, I will hear. And he said, you will be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins. You know what that is? That is God sending revival and restoration, and they go together. He said, I will send the former latter rains. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. It's all the same thing. Did everybody catch that? It's all the same. See, in times of great revivals, God pours out his spirit. God is also restoring those ancient ruins where now the altar calls again are being made. The house becomes a house of prayer again. The gifts are back in operation. Everything starts changing. It gets back to being biblical book of Acts, New Testament Christianity again. But for us to be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins, it begins with us being a powerful people of prayer. Now I'm going to close with this because I want to spend more time in prayer tonight than, uh, than the sermon. But God began to put me on an odyssey of reading about all these old historic revivals. And as we've gone through them, River of Life, I've slowly gone through a lot of them. We're not completely done, but we have found that there's a common denominator in all of them so far. The world had gotten really dark. The church had backslidden. And there was a remnant of people that began to cry out in prayer because of that. That's the common denominator every time. I could go through and but it'd take too long. But the world became dark. How many are seeing the darkness increasing in America? Yeah. And the church had backslidden. How many are seeing the church backslidden today? But there was a remnant praying. And they began to really cry out to God. And in almost every case, the remnant were those that in small in number... I could go through them, but it was almost always like a dozen people or less, but they came together and they began to desperately cry out to God for mercy. I'll just give one example of this for the sake of time was in the Isle of Hebrides. The the area had become dark. Churches began to empty out. The younger generation coming up was totally disinterested in church. The bars and dance halls were full. The churches were low in attendance. And because sin was increasing, there were two elderly ladies that began to pray at home and really cry out to God. Two ladies. Everybody say two. That's it. It wasn't, And they began to, and so in prayer, they approached their pastor and said, Brother, we really feel like that we need to pray. Would you call a prayer meeting? We need to pray. And so he simply presented to the church, and there were around seven or so men that agreed to meet in a barn, and they would pray in the evenings. And they gathered together in the barn. And they began to pray for revival. And it was dead, dry, and difficult at first. But one young man, the Holy Spirit came upon him one night. And the book of Psalms, he read, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to idols, nor sworn deceitfully. But he said, He will receive the blessing of the Lord. And so he began to pray, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And he began to repent. And as he did, the Holy Spirit began to move upon the other men. And they began to repent. And the power of God fell. Now, I'm, I'm, conden- I'm just condensing this as much as I can. And Duncan Campbell tells this account. And he says that there was a power that broke loose in that barn in Barvis. 
that before it was done shook the whole of Lewis for two years, two-year revival. And Duncan Campbell told stories that would blow your mind of the Holy Spirit. He said that they would be people in a, in a neighborhood like around here. The Holy Spirit would just begin to move on in the middle of the night. They would begin to turn on lights, light lamps and stuff, and turn on lights, and they'd wander out in their pajamas. The Holy Spirit was so convicting them that they, they didn't know what to do except in one case they just made for the church in the middle of the night they come and get brother campbell two or three in the morning mind you and they said you must come there's a there's a whole church full of of sinners that are under conviction they don't know what to do (laughs) and duncan campbell showed up began to preach and they began to weep and wail and run down to the altar he said they were pounding the floor that they were just repenting of their sins and and then all of a sudden another group of people fall under conviction. They didn't know what to do, except that they heard there was a God-fearing man that was the sheriff, and so they all made for the prison. This is a true story. And he said that they all showed up, and and they go get Brother Campbell. He comes, and there's all these people around the prison under conviction of the Holy Spirit. He preaches the gospel, and they get saved. And he said there were 10 people that night that gave their lives to the Lord and surrendered to the call of God. And he said one of them was named Willie, and he said he was even drunk that night, but his mom prayed with him, and he uh, became a minister, served the Lord the rest of his life. And because of the depth of repentance, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the depth of repentance that was going on, Duncan Campbell said years later, like 10 years later, going back to the island, he said they almost know nothing of backsliding, because people are so hungry and on fire for God. They serve the Lord the rest of their lives. He stayed there two years. It shook the whole of Lewis. It was birthed by two old ladies having a burden. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray tonight. Let's go ahead and let's move the chairs. And I'm going to share something in just a moment, then we're going to pray. 